Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm your host, Marceline Forbes, and I have host Reese Bergoon with us. Say hello, Reese. Hello. We also have with us Angelia Nelson. Angelia has been working as an HR professional for the past 25 years. During that 25-year time span, 15 of those years were spent in healthcare, with the other 10 directly related to radiology. This includes hiring all modality technologists, as well as the RA profession and radiologists. Angelia, how are you? Good. How are you guys? I'm so excited. So Angelia, go on ahead and tell us how you ended up in human resources. Well, originally when I was starting out, I really wanted to be an attorney. However, life things happen, kids happen, and I ended up not going to be an attorney, obviously. I still ended up in the route in a slightly different direction. I earned my bachelor's degree in legal studies. When I landed my first job, it was not an HR. However, the company that I worked for, shortly after I started, there was an HR opening and they pretty much handed me that job. And that's kind of my first role in HR. I quickly learned that HR and legal really go hand in hand. I'm going to fast forward 25 years in the role. I still enjoy the challenges. I still enjoy the problem solving, the positive influence. The HR field permits me to do continuous learning all the time. I am still keeping that legal studies degree in focus. The regulatory side and all of the changes and legal issues that come up, they keep evolving. And as far as HR goes, it's going to continue. Well, Angelia, I know for myself, as well as probably um, the majority of our listeners, don't really know what it is human resources does. Because for me, when I first started getting out into the real world and looking for a career and different jobs. I always had to do my onboarding with human resources. And I didn't really know what fell under their umbrella as far as the profession is concerned. And to be honest, when I first started, I always made the joke that human resources are just the fun suckers of the corporate world. Take it easy, Reese. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's exactly what I told my girlfriend, now wife at the time, because she has worked in human resources for the last 15 years. You love that, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, she did not love that comment. And she was very quick to correct me on the ins and outs of HR. But what are some other misconceptions that you have come across when it comes to human resources profession? Well, there are many professions, right, that we think of that bring certain perceived connotations and maybe some particular traits to it that they stereotype or generalize and the inaccuracies, I guess, from that perspective make us look different. So I'm going to start talking a little bit about a couple of those and then I'm going to go into HR a little bit. So just some examples I'm going to throw out there that there are perceived connotations and some particular traits. You think of the word politician, accountant, a doctor. What about a truck driver? Those are just to name a few of stereotyping and generalizations that when we think of a particular group, we in our mind already are stereotyping what those are. HR is one of those. As far as misconceptions of what HR is, is they don't understand the business. That's a big one. That's a big misconception. 
that we work independently of ourselves. We don't understand the business. We don't know the needs of the business. We don't understand what we do. HR doesn't get it. That's so far from the truth. Us as HR professionals, we have to know what the organizational goals are, what the objectives are, what each department needs, what the business drive is. We can only be effective when we as HR professionals know the business. You have to know all of those things in order to hire the right folks. What is our company culture like? What do we want to move forward? What do we want the career objectives to be? I mean, we really have to have a deeper understanding of each department at all levels. As a whole, we function collaboratively. So I can definitely understand that. And just kind of listening in, I can't relate to it, obviously, because I don't do HR. But as a supervisor or directors in our departments, they have to focus on company and also on employees. And so there's kind of this toggle between them. I think having been in that type of position, I can relate to what you're saying and I can understand it because technologists and those of us that are working the floors, we don't see the backhand side of the company. We see the patients we're taking care of. We see the needs that we have, but we don't see the business. Does that make sense? Would you say that's an accurate statement? I would say that's an accurate statement. So I see both perspectives and I can definitely see where that misconception would be being in some sort of a management role or somewhere where you're having to play both sides definitely allows you to see that. I would agree. So Angelia, how did you end up in radiology? Well, I've been radiology for some time. So previously I did work for a multi-specialty group. There was a radiology department, worked there for some time among others. But when I came to Dallas, I was looking for a opportunity, I guess you could say, obviously in the healthcare field. I've been doing that a long time. I mean, that's my passion. I love healthcare. And so that's where I need to stay. But I was looking for something really in more of a medical practice, not so much a hospital setting. When I came upon this opportunity, I researched quite a bit the background of the company and how I see and how I want to work with the company aligns with the vision and the mission of where I'm working currently. After interviewing, I fell in love with the culture. It's an amazing company. So I hope that answers the question there. It does. And I have another question. Yes. When I listen to you say, you know, you research the company, and I know we'll probably get to it later on in the podcast. How can you tell our listeners how to research companies to see if they resonate with the company's role model? What are some key things that you look for when you're looking in a position that you would say, you know what? This is a company I'd like to be at. We're on the internet, right? So you can Google, you can search, all of that kind of stuff. So for me, number one is the website. I look at the company itself and I looked at the company as a whole and I read everything and you see what people were saying about the company out there. It was very positive. It seemed had a good footprint. They were in a lot of locations. They were expanding. They were very vision focused. I think they're innovative. Those are some things I look for when I'm looking for a company. Okay. While you're Googling and researching all the institutions you may want to work for, you can also go to a website called www.collaborationra.com. You can find our vision. (laughs) Good plug. Good plug. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) There you can find our vision and our goals and our background as far as who we are and what we're here to accomplish. That was a good plug. I couldn't let that one go. (laughs) Thank you, Reese. Take them when you can. HR is everywhere, no matter which company or which department or which institution you're for, but solely within the umbrella of imaging, what do you think you can share with other HR professionals 
looking to get into that route? For me, it's a profession. There's different skill sets. So one recommendation is I feel you should roll up your sleeves and get out in the field, meet your teams, get to know them. A lot of times I think people like are in offices and they feel like they don't have the opportunity to get out and meet the folks with certain professions. A lot of times they're not in the office. They're in locations. They're in hospitals. They're in imaging centers. And the only time to get to know them is to go out and meet and to get to know your team. I think you need to learn what makes the company great. Why do they stay there? Why do they work there? That's very important along with other stuff. But for me, the main thing is what are some of the challenges you have? What makes your job difficult? And then you take those and you learn both the positive and the challenges side and you figure out as the HR professional, how can I help? How can I support? How can I make things different? How can we bring other people in that, you know, we love this culture and how do we hire just like you? If we can do that and we can figure out those pieces, we can make the organization that we work for an amazing place to work. I think that's really, really nicely said. Like the boots on the ground mentality. You see it, you feel it, you've talked with people who've done it and you can take that information and you can help relay it to potential new hire candidates. You can kind of gauge them to see if they're going to be a good fit for the company. You can kind of know, okay, here's your strengths. Here's where you can be best utilized to work cohesively as a team. I think that's really nicely said. Reese, I think that's a really important topic that you guys are both discussing. My best advice that I always give everybody who's going out to look for a job is just be you. Let your personality be what it is. But when you don't go in being authentic to who you are, the position that you hold will not be authentic to you. When you get to go out there, Angelia, and you get to see what they need on the floor, mm -hmm. and you're there in the imaging department, when you're interviewing candidates, you know who you're looking for and what you're looking for. And you're looking for somebody who's going to be long-term, who's going to be happy and enjoy the position that they're holding and that will mesh well with the team. I do think that that is very valuable when you can get those teammates. I think that that's really good that when you go on the floor, you get to see what the department needs, but you also get to see who the department needs because that's really important, not only for the person that you're hiring, but for the people that are already established. Agree. Hold heartily, 100%. <laughs> Personally and professionally speaking, the best thing I did in my undergraduate coursework was take a technical writing class. There was a good number of weeks dedicated to writing a resume. And the instructor for this class was a stickler. She made you learn the material and take away something from it. And that was really beneficial for me because she said, these are the things you want on a resume. Make it look clean, make it look neat. And she would actually hold it up to the light. She would actually check for the watermark on the resume <laughs> paper. She would make sure that the watermark was right side up. And so when it comes to building a resume, obviously there are templates you can use in a word processing document. You've been working in human resources. I'm sure you've seen thousands of resumes. What are some tips on resumes for us? When we get stuff, we look for related work experience. Are we meeting the qualifications for what we're looking for? Mostly, we look at two to three recent job relevant experience. So when you list out your job, the first two to three, are they meeting what we're looking for from an experience perspective? You might have four, five, six. The more weight we have on the first one, two, three jobs, that's what we're kind of looking for is more of the skills and experience that you've had at the most recent jobs. 
Another thing we look for, and this might not be known, I'm probably spilling a little, is keywords. If there's certain things that I'm looking for in a candidate and I have my keywords, I will use that command F function to pull up those words. So if you have hundreds of resumes, it's easy to go through, boom, boom, boom. So when you are putting your resume together, make sure that what somebody is looking for and what job you're applying for, that you are using the keywords that would come up in that type of function. Some have gaps of employment. That's a big one for recruiters. Why are there gaps of employment in between? It's totally fine. If you have gaps of employment, make sure you're making an explanation around those gaps. So if you took time off to have some children or you opened your own business and you wanted to start your own practice, whatever it was, put those dates in there and put what it was and why. You'll go through a lot quicker. So just make sure that whenever there are gaps of employment that you're putting in the reason why. So the overall organization of your resume, it's extremely important. I know it seems immaterial. We've all gone to school. We've all taken English. We all have learned things. Reese, you talked about where your instructor told you how to put a resume together. Please make sure the spelling is good. Make sure your grammar is good. Make sure everything is clearly identified. Make sure you're presenting your ideas. It's easy to work through. It's easy to look at. Remember, you are standing out among hundreds of candidates sometimes. I think that's all excellent advice. One thing about me that y'all do not know is I actually got a college scholarship for resume writing. And so one of the things that I would like to recommend to everybody who's out there working on a resume, at Barnes & Noble, there is a book and it's called The Elements of Resume Style. And it's by Scott Bennett. It's the second edition. That book is absolutely phenomenal for resume writing. And in it, he talks about when people jazz up their resumes, that it actually is more distracting and it takes away from you being a good applicant. Would you say that that's true, Angelia? Do you like I would 100% say that's what it does. All those fancy words or you put your objective up top or you put all of the information in there and you make it all fancy, the font, people put pictures on it. What are you looking for? It's really the meat of the resume. You want to know what are their skills, what are their experience? I mean, you want to make it concise. You want to make it easy to read. You want to make it flow well. But all the the unnecessary fonts and different things in there, I don't think is necessary. Whenever I was looking for jobs and I read his book, he says he guarantees, you know, you put two out there, you'll get a phone call. (laughs) You'll get an interview. I put it out there and a week later, I had three or four interviews and, you know, I actually got offers from them. His book is really phenomenal. It's really about the basics, but it's really about cleaning up what's on your resume and leaving out what's irrelevant. But he also says, leave information in there that you get to talk about. So you're Mm kind of like sending them a teaser as to who you are. You want to invite them in to say, hey, I want to know more about you. So I know whenever I look at resumes, and especially now after reading his book, I look for those opportunities of where I'm being invited into. Sometimes when you put your little bit of personality into it, when you're going through, I think it'll make you stand out as well. I know whenever I was learning on how to do this, they just said, just get to the point, keep it simple, no drawn out paragraphs, just like tidbits, leave them wanting more type of attitude. But the tips of like, you need to keep it to a single page. And if you've been in the career for maybe five to 10 years, I definitely think that is a very intense and packed one page document. And everyone always says, oh, they're never going to look at the second page. Once you have a lot of experience, you do start to spill over into that second page because you have a lot of accolades or accomplishments. Angelia, is there any difference from your perspective between a CV and a resume? 
I mean, there's a slight difference. So a CV is more around your experience, your credentials, your background. The medical field uses the word CV way more than other fields, but there are other professions that use CV. So then, Angelia, can I circle back to what Reese was talking about in terms of two page and one page? I've always been told that it is one page. And I know that I have 22 years of experience. I can put it on one page. It's not easy to do. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll put my places of employment and then I'll put experience as an RA, experience as a technologist. Mm -hmm. So then I've broken it down and it all fits into one page. Do they have a preference between the one page and the two page? There are people that have a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. It's not going to fit on one page and you don't want like a two font. Commonly now when we're looking at stuff and we're looking at resumes, we're looking at CVs, two pages is preferable. I mean, I'm going to be honest here. I get long ones, but a lot of people have written a lot of books. They've written a lot of documents. They want to put those on there. The key points and the most information I'm looking for is your one and two pagers. I would say two page, three is pushing it. The one page... If you don't have a lot of experience, you don't have a lot to say, that's fine. But if you have a lot of accomplishments, you want to share that you've done, I wouldn't put too much. However, you do want to put your key accomplishments in there. So you just told me I have not accomplished anything. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm a one-pager. That's how many years you've been doing this. (laughs) Okay, so Angelia, during the interview process, if a certain applicant doesn't have necessarily the same experience or the exact experience that you're looking for to fill a position, but that individual has the right attitude. Does that make a difference? And if it does, how could they show this on their CV or their resume to get that phone call or to get that interview? That's a really good question. And I will say 100%, it does matter. I feel skill is important, but attitude is everything. Positive attitude isn't something you get a degree in. It's something you absolutely, as a manager, as a director, as a recruiter, whoever's hiring, should be looking for when hiring an employee. Positive attitude for me just brings open-mindedness. It brings collaboration. It brings flexibility. It takes on responsibility where you're an individual and there's problems, you're willing to take them on. When you have a positive attitude, As far as your resume goes, that's a really, really hard one because it's in the interviews when they pick up on that. When you are framing up your resume and you're putting out your bullet points, because I feel like it makes it clean and neat and it's easy to read. If you're framing, I guess, your challenges and stuff that you do in your job, make it in a positive way. Use verbs like succeeded, overcame, frame up positivity. So Angelia, I know that There's a lot of students who listen to this podcast and a lot of those students don't necessarily have the experience level backing them during these interview processes that they're going through to get these jobs to gain said experience that they need. What recommendations do you have for those students? What can they include on their resumes? So if you have no work experience and you're a new student, which a lot of folks are coming out of school or wherever you're at, when you're building your resume, highlight the coursework, academic projects, talk about your course degree, your diplomas, talk about all that stuff. That's how you build your resume for a student perspective. I remember back when I first started as far as building my resume and I had no experience. How do you get noticed? You use your schoolwork. You use what you've done in your academia. Make sure you highlight some major achievements or what coursework, what projects you've worked on. 
your degree, the diplomas, but also when you're in an internship, shadowing, show them what you're capable of to make yourself marketable. A lot of times when you intern, shadow, and you really get in there, they get to know you not only as a professional, but also as a person. And then they see the value and what you bring. We do look at the folks that come and intern with us more so than others. I think internships are extremely important for the profession. What advice do you have for candidates whose resume has been recognized and now they've made it into the interview process? What is the etiquette for phone interview or via Zoom or Skype? What are some things that they can do to make an impact? Because when you're in person, I feel like you can make that connection. And sometimes I feel like when you do things via Zoom, you can still make the connection, but there's not that personal feel to it, if that makes sense. So how could candidates add a personal feel into that Zoom connection? I think just making eye contact and talking to the individual and looking very sincere, like you are there, you're present, you're in the moment. That's what you want to talk about. Be intuitive. Now, I'm sure you're going to have some dogs barking in the background. You have some kids running around. I mean, we obviously are in this era of where things happen. You're working from home. I mean, I do a hybrid, right? So I work partially in the office. I work partially at home. The dogs will bark. Someone's delivering something. That's going to happen. I think just make sure when you are interviewing that you can find a quiet place if possible. It's not always going to be the case. Apologize if, you know, something happens in the background and just be genuine, sincere. And I think a video is the way to go. Okay. And then in the in-person interview process, what are some things that you're looking for? You know, they say first impressions are like everything. What are some things that a candidate can do to really make that good first impression? Obviously, I know smiling is one of them. Even they say smiling on the phone, they can tell when you're smiling, right? For me, this is even my own self when I go to interview somewhere. Be punctual. I know it seems simple. I don't even want to insult you guys. However, be punctual. Make sure you're on time for the interview. If you're early, sit in the car. Don't show up a half an hour early and knock on the door. Then the person feels like they're obligated to go meet you early. Wait until it's the time. Sit outside, sit in the lobby, sit wherever. Go into the interview on time. Don't be late, but don't even be super early. I know that seems weird. It matters. Do your research on the company. Again, we talked about it before. I think it's really important who you're interviewing with and knowing the company you're interviewing for. The qualifications of the position, if you're interviewing for something, know what they're looking for. Know what the qualifications they had on their posting. Go in educated. That part is very important. Being prepared for what questions they possibly could ask. And what I mean by that is if you're applying for a radiology assistant, go Google. What do people ask radiology assistants in an interview? You're going to get all broads and all aspects of across the board, but at least you get a good idea. And there's going to be some commonalities when you go in there. Just practice, practice, practice what they possibly could ask you and have an answer. It's not going to be exact. I mean, you're going to give your little spin on it, but make sure you're prepared for what kind of questions somebody's going to ask. Practice that delivery. Ask anybody, but practice, practice, practice the delivery of those questions. And maybe your friend or whoever asked you some questions that you didn't think about. Don't forget the nonverbal. Make sure you make an eye contact. Don't gesture too much. Don't make hand motions too much. Don't keep your arms crossed. Make sure nonverbal communication is on point. Be polite to everyone. When you go into a place, you don't know who's going to ask what. Be polite to everyone. And this is a simple one I'm going to ask. Just make sure you have copies of your resume in case they forget. I've been there where they sat me down in front of six people and they said, we don't actually don't have the copy of your resume. 
And I just pulled out my little folder and I was like, oh, good. I have one for each of you. Here you go. And, you know, at the tail end of it, they're trying to wrap up and they said, "Okay, well, do you have any questions? I was like, actually, yes, I do. So I pulled out a paper with about half page of worth of questions for me to ask them about the position, about the job, about the environment, about the institution, about this potential job that I may be in as well. Because not only are they interviewing you to see if you are a good fit, you should be interviewing them as well. I agree with you 100%. I love getting asked questions when we're interviewing candidates because it shows me that they're interested. And some of them may be uncomfortable questions or, gosh, you know, I didn't have time to prepare for the answer because I wasn't anticipating the question. But I love getting them because it makes me look inside myself and find an authentic answer. And one of the ones I got was, how is your leadership style? That was an excellent question. I think that's something that everyone who's interviewing for a job should ask someone because then it lets you know, are they going to meet the standards that you have? Do you want someone who's a laid back supervisor? Do you want someone who helps micromanage? Are you someone who needs someone to help micromanage? Everybody's different and unique. Everybody should be just as knowledgeable, just as much as they're interviewing you, you're interviewing them. But remember, a little bit of that is they could ask you questions like, why do you want to join our company? How can you contribute to the success of this company? So, I mean, the more you know about it, the more beneficial you are and the more educated you are. Angelie and Reese, this is a question for both of y'all. And I guess we'll let Reese go first and then, Angelia, you can finish it up. What are some good questions that you think candidates should be asking? As a technologist, whenever I was looking for a position, and mind you, I was looking for a position to chase my school career to make it beneficial for me and my schedule. Previous employers weren't as flexible about my school schedule. And so whenever I was looking for PRN positions or weekend positions, I did do quite a bit of interviewing. And in the process, I got my answers down through trial and error. And some of the questions I would ask them as a technologist would be, would you be willing to cross-train me if I were to take this position? That's good information to know, especially if you're looking to gain a, a second or third modality under your bill. A next big one, especially for the technologist role, is, is there room for advancement? Those would probably be the biggest two from the technologist perspective. Big question for me is, I asked the interviewer, why do you work here? I want to know why they work here. What keeps them here? How long have they been here? That's an important one for me when they answer it, because it lets me know a little bit about the culture. What motivates them as far as working for that company? Why is the position open? Could be a new position, but it could be a replacement. So if it's a replacement, why is it being replaced and why did the person leave? That leads me to know, okay, what are some obstacles here or what could be out there that maybe this position is open that I need to think about? The whole point of an interview, and I think we all know this, but I think we forget it, is yeah, they're interviewing us for the job, but also we're interviewing them. And I know you said that, Reese. However, it really is important. It's not just looking at the the website and knowing about the company culture and all this kind of stuff. What you don't want to do is find out three months, six months down the road, this is not the right place for you. Mm -hmm. So I can't stress enough to make sure that you're doing that due diligence in itself. You also want to make sure you're, you're making the right decision. Here's one that I ask, do you feel my skills and what you're looking for are meeting the right expectation for this position? I just want to put it in their place. They've interviewed me. They saw my skills. Am I the right person? This kind of puts them on the spot a little bit, but it also helps you decide how the interview is going, I guess. And then obviously, what are next steps? When should I hear from you? When should I follow up? When should I expect things? That's always important when just at the tail end. 
just to make sure, you know, what are next steps and what can you expect? And I know in one of my interview processes, the interview was actually going great, but I did have somebody who was kind of on the fence with things. And I pulled one of the questions that was in that book. And one of the questions was, has there been any point in your career that has impacted you the most emotionally that really changed who you were and how you looked at things? Sometimes it can be a simple question that leads you into this other pathway. Um, And it was not a question that I was really prepared to ask for in the interview. I just happened to read it. You know, I knew things were going in a direction that, okay, I didn't know what I could ask. And so I just pulled that one out. I think asking questions that are very personable in terms of finding out now, what can I relate to on this in a personal level? I try to find what they personally relate to, what impacts their life. And once you can do that, it opens things up when you're interviewing with someone who's maybe not opening up to get them to open up to you, to see that you're both people having an intentional conversation. But during the interview, I couldn't make that personal connection with him to see that this is who I am. I am authentic. You know, once I heard his story and then leading into all these other stories and getting to discuss certain things that both of us have met on a personal level. Then he got to know me as a person and not as a candidate of what he's read through threads on Aunt Minnie. I became a person to him. He could relate to me. He could converse with me. And so I think that's really, really important. And especially for our profession where we are met with a lot of hesitancy. Well, that's what we're doing with this podcast, too. I mean, we're putting faces to the RA profession. We're making it personal at this point. I think that's a good takeaway is like these are real people. These are real lives that are being affected. And we're trying to change that. It really is just about people's perception of our profession. You know what, Marceline and Reese, positions are extremely important. I mean, that's why Reese, they're going for diagnosis and all this kind of stuff. For me, the position is really more intimate and more closer to the patient. And so I just, it's just really sad sometimes. So now let's say that we've moved on. We got the job. And now we're talking about negotiating benefits, asking for a raise or contracts. What advice do you give to those that have been working for five years and they feel like time is due? How can somebody convey that to relate it to asking or validating a pay raise? What are some good things and what are some things that you shouldn't ask for? Well, as far as the offer goes, and I think if it's an employment contract, I mean, there are job offers with offer letters and then there's employment contracts. But if we're talking about employment contracts, you want to make sure it's in writing. When it comes to contracts and negotiation, that you are being open-minded in a way and that you're portraying what you're looking for and not being demanding or intrusive, but at the same time, getting what you need, what you want. As far as I go, I feel like a scorecard and that means ongoing, whether it's one year, five years, three years. You keep a scorecard for yourself on the accomplishments you've made, the added value, if you will, of what you've brought to the organization. Sometimes it doesn't even need to be asked. You're doing ideas, you're going above and beyond, and they just see sometimes that can be enough. But if it's not enough and you need to ask for an increase, I think showing what you have brought to the table, your value, sometimes tenure is not just the thing that you need to go for. However, sometimes tenure can be if it's been a while. So keep your own data. I mean, your own person, your own advocate, you've got to advocate for yourselves. Have your own scorecard. Compensation these days, it can mean a lot of things. It can mean salary. It can mean bonus. It can mean 
profit sharing, whatever it looks like, it's important. And benefits are becoming just as important as salary a lot of times when you're looking at a company and who you want to go work for. It is important to ask about benefits. I wouldn't say maybe like right during the first interview process, but maybe as you're getting to the offer stage, definitely want to look at the benefits package. Get at least maybe an outline if they don't have a benefits summary of what the benefits look like for the company. You want to know who the providers are. What is the coverage? What is the plan? What does it cover? What are deductibles? Is there medical, dental, vision? Do we have the short-term, long-term? Do you have 401k? What does that look like? That's another big piece, another important piece that I think sometimes we forget about, especially newer people going into their careers. They're not really thinking about retirement in the future, depending on how long you're going to stay with a company. But that can be very valuable, very important when you're choosing a company. Those are some very important pieces. Just learn, ask questions, and understand what you're looking for and what you're needing from a benefits perspective. As we're talking about salaries, I did a little bit of my homework. It's not the most up-to-date right now. Actually, technologists and everybody within the radiology field is in high demand. So I know that the figures are going to be probably below what they actually are. One thing that I want to stress to our imaging community, when the ASRT or any of those that you subscribe to, CBRPA, SRPE, when they send out these wage and salary surveys, it is imperative that individuals fill these out. So when the ASRT released their survey in 2019, and you can find it by going on the ASRT website, we have more than 300,000 imaging professionals that are out there working. Only 11% responded. Wow. 11%. That is the value in your membership is responding to those because that's how we get paid. That's our brackets, right? So when you're looking at that, that 11% of all the memberships that they had, it was roughly 129,000 surveys that they sent out and only 14,000 people responded, 14,000. Whenever you're looking at those numbers, it's kind of hard to gauge what the other percentage was getting paid. Were they at a higher bracket? I'm honestly pretty shocked on the low response rate, honestly. 11% is, that's hardly anything. But that's where our profession needs to engage. This is where we need to pull together. This is where they're saying the imaging community as a whole are all saying they don't feel respected. Unless you're putting yourself out there to earn that respect and you're complaining about the pay and the salaries, well, are you responding to these surveys? Are you taking value in your memberships, whether they're SRPE, whether they're CBRPA, whether they're ASRT, are you responding to these? Because unfortunately, your median salary and what's out there is in relation to these responses. All modalities overall had a 44% response rate of that 14,000. They got a salary median range between 58,000 to 69,000. Medical Mm -hmm. dosimetrists make about 115,000. They had a 1% response rate. The RAs, they got 0.1 response for salary at 108,000. CT technologists, 12.5 responded at 70,000. You have all these individuals and a majority of them were the 0.1 response rate. I know I filled mine out for the SRPE, I filled mine out for the CBRPA, and I filled mine out for the ASRT. Really important to engage in your profession and to fill those out because that's what's going to impact how much you and your colleagues are making. 
It might be helpful if they send them employers where the employers could fill those out. You know, I don't think I understood the value in it until I started looking for jobs myself. And you're looking and you're thinking, wait a second, I was making more than this, you know, at this place. And so during the interview process, when I bring up my past salary and they say, well, this is what's current. This is what was published. What do I do now? How do I prove that during an interview process? Well, again, that's where you show your productivity. I showed my productivity. And not only that, I put a breakdown of how many procedures I performed, how much time I saved makes a big difference. So I was able to justify, despite what's out there and the value of our profession, this is what my actual value is worth versus what's out there on the internet. But again, answering those surveys. Okay, Angela, I know we talked about receiving a phone interview versus an in-person interview. And I know it's common courtesy, or it should be, to include a follow-up thank you to your potential employer. I've always sent like a follow-up email or give a courtesy follow-up phone call. Is that still a thing? I would say yes, absolutely. I mean, I just received one last week. I know it seems probably in our minds a little bit old school, but I don't think it's old school. You had a great interview. You're interested. When you get back home, write a short thank you note. It doesn't take that much time. Tell him or her that you appreciated the time that they spent together. Want to learn more about the, the company. You like the organization. I guarantee you it will go a long way. I think it's important even when you're not looking at taking the job, I still thank them for their time. Um, That's time that a company spent away from their daily tasks to visit with me to see if I am a candidate. And, you know, I've had an instance where I thank them and I tell them, you know, I really enjoyed the time that I spent with you, the connections that we made. Unfortunately, I don't know that this is an area that I'm going to pursue but I truly enjoyed the time that I spent with you. I find value in your company and I wish you guys the best of luck in finding the right candidate. One, because that kind of shows them that, no, I'm going a different direction, but I acknowledge that you spent the time with me and I value that. I like that. When you're looking at the actual contract and everything is kind of laid out, what are some important things that you think that people need to pay attention to on contracts that maybe are overlooked? So as far as the contract goes, make sure that you have the terms, meaning is it a one year, two year, three year? Make sure you understand the terms of the contract as far as how long each one is and when it's renewed. And when it's renewed, obviously the salary, make sure that's all in there. Make sure benefit pieces, if there's any stipulations around a sign-on or a relocation, make sure all of those are stipulated in there as far as amount. Is there a payback? You know, not that anybody's going to leave, but you never know. Look at the non-compete area. You know what? Life happens, right? If you've signed an employment agreement, I would check the legal implications before you withdraw the acceptance. So read over your contract carefully. Make sure you understand the legal implications as far as withdrawing. Definitely have a conversation with the company that you're withdrawing from. Kind of explain to them why you have decided not to take the job or why you're reversing it. Maybe there's an agreement you guys can come upon. Make sure it's in the best interest of you. Well, Angelia, we really do appreciate you coming on and spending the time with us. I feel it was all very relevant for us as well as our listeners. And so we appreciate you spending your time and your knowledge, what you had to say. Thank you for coming on. Marceline, I always appreciate you and the time that you put forth to this podcast, letting our listeners know all the ins and outs of the imaging world. But most importantly, I always want to thank our listeners. Without you guys... We wouldn't have the drive or energy to really do this. This takes a lot of effort. 
So if you are enjoying this podcast that we try to bring some quality content to each week, let us know. Drop us a line. Please reach out to us. We do have a website, www.collaborationra.com. If you feel like you want to add to the conversation, please let us know. Marceline, what do you have? I want to say thank you for going on this journey with me. Thank you for all the ups and downs that we've had, the troubleshooting that we've had. I know that at times it's been stressful, and especially one week where we did five interviews. <laughs> so our voices. Yeah, that, that, that was a little rough. I have absolutely loved doing this process with you. You are so easy to work with. You're a lot of fun. I just really want to say thank you for doing this with me, not only inspiring me here, but in our personal lives and professional lives. So thank you, Angelia. I love that you came on with us. I love that you brought a different perspective and one that is unique to radiology imaging. Thank you for always being an advocate for those of us who work in imaging. So I just really want to say thank you for your time that you spent to come on and share what it is that you do. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.